0: I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kairos Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. Right now, I'm sitting on the uh, the 22nd floor of a hotel in Adelaide, South Australia, and, uh, and I'm sitting here with uh, with Chris Parker, who uh, who works in Australia with with Christian e- Education National. So, I mean, Chris, just tell us a little bit about your work and what your role is with CEN.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks, David. So, yes, yeah, Christian Education National, or as we uh, colloquially refer to as CEN in Australia, CN is a movement of, or an association, a group, a family, we sometimes say, of Christian schools in Australia, uh, spread all around Australia. Maybe in the order of 70 uh, schools, it sort of just depends on how you count them, how you count the number. And they are schools that have come from a, uh, a reformed position, uh, a heritage of a, uh, a kind of Kyperian. Uh, ref- reformed approach. So um, sometimes when I talk to people in North America, they're kind of
0: surprised that Christian schools are a big thing in in Australia because they're mm. just not familiar with the landscape here. Um, seems like Christian schools are a fairly important part of the overall educational scene in Australia.
1: Yeah, faith based schools in general. Actually, there is some. There's one of our territories where I think that the number of enrollments in and independent schools has gone greater than 50% compared to government schools. And a significant number of our independent schools are faith-based ones. But, the, of course, there's a large continuum of, of what that actually looks like in terms of those schools. But, yes, Christian schools are a key part of that. So what kind of services are you trying to provide to schools
0: through CEN?
1: Well, CEN is, uh, first and foremost, uh, Our our plan is to... We have, we have this mantra, which is, um, you know we are stronger together. So just by by virtue of the association, the grouping of the of the schools, we are stronger together. We serve each other, and we are um, able to provide for each other. And in terms of uh, our faithful presence, in that sense as well. But then CN seeks to uh, support the association. So that's the governing bodies of the schools. We also have a. F- a very strong part of our core values to support teacher training. So the sort of founding parents of our schools had this vision that said that, well, if we are going to offer a distinct type of education, we a Christian education to the children in our schools, we are going to need to actually teach our teachers how to do that. Uh, majority of, you know, I'll, I'll make up a statistics, uh, 90-something percent of graduates, uh, teacher graduates in Australia are coming from secular teacher training institutions, high 90s. And so we recognize uh, and the founding parents recognize that we all need to be quite deliberate in helping those teachers to think Christianly, to be counterformed by from their you know, training uh, to think more Christianly about what they're doing. And hence, we, one of our main uh, parts of our organisation is the National Institute for Christian Education, which is a government-accredited postgraduate teacher training um, institute, you know, accredited equivalent to any other kind of university in the country, offering postgraduate training for, for our teachers in Christian education.
0: Right, so, so I mean, think Christianly. It's one of these sort of big, beautiful, vaporous kind of topics, right? So, what, what's what's kind of bubbling up in that at the moment? What what things feel like they're the specific gaps or the specific urgent issues that you're trying to move the needle on with teachers within this this sort of inspiring umbrella yeah. umbrella phrase?
1: Yes, it's a, so it's a very good question. We come from the heritage where we have focused on and probably done fairly well our thinking around um, perspectives uh, in in curriculum shaping curriculum design uh, worldview social imaginaries you know perspectives whichever kind of phrase we've we've kind of done some hard yards there and but in more recent times, I think we have, and, and possibly rightly so, recognized that a swing of the pendulum a little bit back towards thinking of practice. And how do we, how do we unfold? What are the, the liturgies, the language, the, the, the practices of our, of our classrooms? How do they help us to seek un, and unfold the vision of uh, Christian education and student formation in that space. So hence w- why we are here in Adelaide uh, at this conference, which we, have, which we call the International Transforming Education Conference. Uh, previously, we have, um, we have had focus on, I, I guess, yeah, worldview, reading culture, perspective, and that engagement with, uh, you, know, you know, teachers being able to read both culture and the Word of God and therefore unfold that with students. But this year we are focused on practice, where reimagining practice is the, the theme, and hence why you, David, are uh, one of our keynote speakers. And um, so I think that is your question, what are the, some of the big things? Yes, that is, that is one thing that we are wanting to grab onto and tease out, work through uh, more rigorously at the moment. So
0: was this partly um, like an international development because it, it, it seems to me I, I caught you using the word liturgies uh, earlier on in relation to culture, and that makes me think Jamie Smith and Desiring in the Kingdom, and um, you know some conversations that mm. have happened in North America. So um, there's a sense that you know the Christian schools conversation is it's become an international conversation, right? And so yep. there are these there are ideas that are actually circulating on different sides of the world at the same time. Yeah, uh, is, no, is, is, has that been a big part of how this uh, this conference has, has been framed
1: definitely. Jamie's work has influenced us here in Australia. There's a lot of uh, Christian educators here who, uh, in, in the early days of his reimagining um, approaches, grabbed onto that. were very stimulated uh, by that, and um, and I think that's fair to say that that is we have followed in that more global conversation in that way. Yeah.
0: yeah. Did have you come into the conference with any like like sort of uh, secret? Uh, frustrations like you you know you're gonna you've got a thousand teachers coming into town to think about reimagining practices Mm. um is there a little place in your soul where you're going boy I really hope everybody rethinks this practice because if we don't get that one we we you know we didn't we didn't get there like what's the where are the sore points
1: yeah for me I think one of the kind of um, you know raw points where that in that sort of narrative that you spell out there for me is Classroom culture and how we motivate our students. I, I mean, there's a very strong cultural storyline that says you motivate best by reward and by success and kudos and and that has various different forms, which seem a little bit more Christianized than others. But deep down, I think uh, classroom cultures where there is any kind of you know tone or. Or, or narrative of competition and individual success is so counter to christian education and and and, and you know christian formation christ centered formation that yeah i'm on a little bit of a a little bit of a soapbox on that one when i talk with with teachers right yeah so where do you, how, what do you want to see
0: that move to like what's what's your vision of where how that could become different
1: yeah i think that i'd love to see classrooms in Christian schools, which where each class is a community with a shared vision, where all of the students, I mean, I'm, I know I'm speaking idealistically, but where all the students and the teacher have this shared vision for where they're heading, and that is the, th- and that is a place that they are heading towards as a as a community, as a group, as a team, or whichever language you want to use, right. not just a collection of individuals gathered together for pragmatic purposes or with uh, and their own individual vision for you know, success or life or whatever. But no, a vision where they all, they're all together going, let's help each other to learn about God and his world and let's do that together and support each other. So we only, we only unfold that vision when we support each other and move together in that. That means
0: we think of a story i 'm going to tell tomorrow morning in the plenary at the conference where um, a few years ago I was visiting a, a school on the east coast of the u s and uh, uh, it 's a school we actually made a, a documentary film about a few years ago at the Kaisers Institute called a shared Space that you can find online but one day I was in this school and uh, i I squatted down next to maybe like a seven eight year old who was painting a picture off in the art space in in one corner of the school and uh, and asked this this. Foolish adult question, you know what are you doing right. and, and was almost half expecting the well i'm painting a picture stupid right kind of kind of answer yep. and uh, w- was a bit taken aback when uh, this 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 child sort of put their head on one side and reflected a moment and said, "Well, you know the overarching theme that we're trying to learn about this semester is this, and then within that for the last three or four weeks we've been focusing on this part of our theme, and then the way that my painting relates to the current part of our theme is like this and I thought the fact that I could squat down next to a seven eight year old and they could tell me how their assignment related Mm. to what the whole class was trying to achieve what the school was trying to achieve over the semester Mm. and I just wondered how many schools I could go into and do that if I just picked out a student at random who's doing some kind of assignment and said why are you doing this and how does it relate to what the rest of us are trying to achieve yes I I I sort of have this fear that 95% of kids wouldn't be able to answer that
1: yeah I mean I I suspect you may have come across an. exceptional student however <laughs> what a wonderful i mean if that is in a reflection of the of the togetherness of that learning and the, the sort of um that kind of meta understanding that that teacher is establishing with those with those students—that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think that was a product of the, of the school culture of that particular school. Mm. This is a school where the teachers meet together at the start of the year and plan out their their semester on a big on a big ride on wall and establish yeah. common themes, and then and then very much involve the students in, yeah. in thinking about that. So it's just one of those encouraging stories where like it, it can be done. You know, you said it was idealistic mm. trying to think about community in the classroom and not just individual success, but mm. you see that when when the school culture changed and a school adopts a different set of practices yes it, it doesn't have to be idealistic right you know there's, there's ways of getting there
1: yes I mean so. idealistic in the sense that there's always brokenness yep. there's always our fall uh, fall in nature amongst our students and uh, but I, I see that our our practices even of um, discipline and welfare that seek to bring you know ought to be seeking to bring students back into that community and into that community vision rather than simply punitive or you know yeah and, and so on
0: have you seen any schools here that seem to be doing it really well or is there still a like a, a, a wave you're hoping to start up and-
1: I, th- I look yes I do think there are th- there are schools um, and I, I I was inclined to sort of say yes so I think the smaller regional ones perhaps may, may have a better, but that's not necessarily true if I, if I pause and think
0: So I know that one of the concrete things you do with CEN is oversee the, uh, the, the, the magazine that you publish, right? CTJ, Christian Teachers yeah. Journal, yeah. Uh, which is uh, um, I don't know folk, folk listening in North America might be familiar with Christian Educators Journal, I think Christian Teachers Journal is in a similar kind of space in terms yeah. of its genre and, and size and so on um, How do you see the place of, uh, of a publication like that in this whole in this whole ecology? Uh,
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I also look after the professional learning aspect of what we do as CEN2. I mentioned the National Institute for Christian Mm -hmm. Education and the postgraduate program, but we're also trying to speak into the space of uh, more ongoing professional learning for teachers too. And CTJ, Christian Teachers Journal, fits into that space. I I I see it as one of a number of levers that we're hoping to press on for teacher training. It's not... It, it, it's not the silver bullet by any means. Um, we do aim to. It, one of our catch cries for the journal is f- uh, f- uh, for teachers and by teachers, mm-hmm. and so we have we have lots of teachers who are contributing, uh, as well as uh, um, you know more uh, kind of uh, commentators in the ed- Christian education space as well. But not e- not all teachers read. Have you noticed this, David? Mm. And so that's that's a that's something that we're. Talking through—that's something yeah. we're thinking through. Not all—not all teachers have time to read. I'm not sort of trying to—I am not dump on them by any yep. means. Um, yep. So professional reading is, some, but you know what I've been saying to uh, principals and you know boards uh, in recent times is, if if uh, if our teachers aren't reading something like the Christian Teachers Journal, what are they reading in terms of professional reading that's in line with the vision and mission of the school? The vision and mission of them in their chosen calling or vocation as well. Uh, so, look, that's something that we're talking through. We're we're hoping to um, energise that. Uh, do we do we move to digital versions? Do we uh, is print still preferred? And these sorts of questions are, are big for us. And uh, yeah, I I, want, I find myself sitting
0: wondering if that relates right back to. The points you were bringing up a few minutes ago about community and uh, in relation to teaching and learning, because I think the temptation sometimes is kind of throw this back on the individual teacher, Mm. like we've just got to make teachers feel guilty enough about not reading that we can get more of them to subscribe or whatever. And 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 is this trying to trying to market to individuals and get more of them on board? Whereas maybe the answer is more in the lines of uh, how can schools create a culture? where it's just an expected part of the school culture that teachers engage together yes. in reading the latest thinking coming out of similar schools. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we we decide that in the next two weeks we're all going to read the same article and mm-hmm. then we're going to discuss it at a staff meeting or in a department. Uh, uh, or, we, you know, we decide we're going to read a certain whole issue over the summer or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: are you seeing any schools trying, oh, trying to take it on that way? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, some, some wonderful, I hear wonderful stories of schools that are, have... Uh, you know, often particularly led by the principal or a, or a teaching learning coordinator, um, they where they are embracing those sorts of um, strategies and trying to turn that culture around. And indeed, there are some of our schools that go even way further than that, and will uh, mandate that that teachers when they first sign up to be teachers at that school will even will even jump in and do postgraduate. You know, we'll do one or two or three units within the postgraduate master's about you know, Christian education. Right. And then, of course, that's followed by a culture of, of continual reading and reflection as a, as a community or a team of colleagues. Because
0: yeah. it seems to me like one of these areas where schools ought to think about what kind of infrastructure they want to have available. Like, if you want there to be thoughtful magazines about Christian education, mm. then there have to be people who read them and subscribe to them and yeah, so right. on, because otherwise yeah. they're not going to continue existing. Yeah. So um, th- I think the way in which schools and departments, as well as individual teachers, engage with this is actually an investment in keeping that kind of infrastructure viable. Mm. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's going to go away.
1: So, mm. uh, I mean... Yeah yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, to what extent do your themes bubble up for CTJ and to what extent do you sort of say again this is a sore point right now or this is an urgent thing that we need to address and mm. try to Commission and, and 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 sort of create clusters around
1: yeah that? we do a little bit of yeah. both we've found that um, if we always are kind of pushing a theme and we you know uh, you know seek uh, con- contributors for that theme it sort of dampens the voice of of other contributors who sort of everyday teachers who might want to write something up and push it in. And so we do a mixture now. We we'll, we as an editorial team will say, well, you know what, gee, gender and how a school responds to that uh, with policy and how teachers deal with the, you know, gender fluidity and so forth, these sorts of issues. Well, let's, let's dedicate an issue next, you know, August to that and then we'll, we'll seek contributors. But um, probably – you know, 50% of our editions will be uh, just made up by what's come in from teachers that's from, you know, their heart and their thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. So Chris, recently you've got a
0: you've got a book out with an interesting title that I've seen getting mentioned on North American blogs just, just recently. Uh, tell us about the book.
1: Yeah, uh, so the book, is, the, the title, interesting title is The Frog and the Fish, uh, Reflections on... Uh, Work, technology, sex, stuff, truth and happiness Um, The book's target audience, David, is young people Young adults, I had in mind Going from kind of the school age to Well, school life to life after school And it deals with some of the questions Some of the big questions that maybe are in their mind Or maybe ought to be in their mind And some of the big issues as well so um, one
0: of the things that strikes me about the book is it's very accessible, uh, and it also doesn't feel defensive. It seems to be communicating a stance of, like, it's okay to ask big, tough questions. You, you don't need to create a little sort of defensive Christian shell. Um, was that sort of the feel you were going for when you were
1: Yeah, very writing? much so. Um Uh, you know it's hard to uh, there is a sort of a sense of a deliberate dance in in the book about you know is it speaking to non-Christians or is it speaking to Christians and uh, you know I do dance around a little there because I but the main aims is for any young person young adult to be thinking that there is possibly truth outside of their their own sphere so the frog and the fish I refer there to the old adage of the frog in the water that's getting hot, but they don't know to jump out because it gets hot slowly. And I'm talking about a cultural stories that shape us there. And the other, the fish, is the adage of, um, you know, if you want to know about water, don't ask a fish because uh, it it only knows about water and it doesn't can't get any outside of that. And I and I see sometimes our y- y- young adults, us as well, uh, we're young adults, David, what am I saying? Um, <laughs> Uh, we get caught in, in a very narrow view of world and we are so slow to be able to recognise that there may well be a truth outside of, of, of the cultural storytelling that, that, that is shaping us. Yeah.
0: So how do you see the book being used? It strikes me it might be useful for church groups, um, but I wonder if you see a use for it in the school curriculum.
1: Yeah, well, interestingly, I had in mind... Kind of maybe sort of the gr- a graduate gift type idea uh, that sort of age and that sort of kind of context, uh, so someone graduating from high school going into to university or the workforce. But interestingly, I've had a lot of uh, youth group leaders uh, email me and say, "Look, it's been fantastic for using in that context as well." I, there are questions and, and sort of devotional uh, Bible study worksheets that go with it. But also from lots of teachers saying that they've had, they've they've come. The places in the curriculum where they've woven it in as a as a resource to use with the with the uh, students and um, and that they've found that helpful. Yeah.
0: How did you go about deciding what the key big questions were that that young people might be Mm. preoccupied with you know I mean there's some obvious ones in there you know sex and money and Mm. and justice but you know you've got to you've got to include some and leave some out right yeah
1: sure so initially I had done some thinking and some work and some presentations to both teachers and students on work and technology and sex and and so looking at those resources those that thinking that I'd done was where I first thought oh, maybe there's a kind of could I put this into a book for young people somehow, or some sort of resource and I played around with that a little bit and the frog and the fish kind of theme uh you know know, came about um but then I stopped and went well what are the other main sort of key issues and happiness I think is one of the what do we see as our source of happiness ultimate source of happiness because I think that is uh very problematic for young adults so how can people get hold of the frog and the fish uh, yeah, well, they could have a look at the Frog and the Fish, uh, the book website, which is uh, thefrogandthefish.com, but also they could jump onto the CEN website, uh, which is www.cen.edu.au. Great. Well, uh, that, I mean, that about brings us up to time for, for
0: now. Um, thank you for taking the time to, to have a chat with me. Yeah. Um, I I feel like, I mean, we talked about the influence of some North American writers on some of the conferences down here. And yeah. uh, I, I, I feel like it's not always on the horizon of folk in my context that they might have things to learn from mm. Christian educators down mm. in Australia. Uh, but there's some uh, some really good deep work going on down here that uh, people would benefit from paying a little bit of attention to, I think. So, yeah, uh, so, yeah appreciate Great. the chance that, to talk to you about it. So. Thank you, David. Yeah. Thanks. You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kairos Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net.